Jeffrey Michael Mays and Forrest Day Jr. That's a little bit different. Uh, this is our Halloween episode. Uh, we we decided Ooh. we decided that uh, you know we might as well have a little fun with Halloween and uh, do a special Halloween edition. And uh, to celebrate, we have Jennifer Dornbush on the show in in just a few minutes. Um, now Jennifer's fascinating. She's the writer of Forensic Speak. Uh, you've seen this book in the bookstores. It's uh, it's a black book with uh, police tape on the front. <laughs> mm-hmm. That says forensic speak. Right. Instead and, of crime scene. And uh, this book is for writers um, that are writing crime mysteries and detective stories. And they need some of that science. You know, some of that, uh, that technical speak that uh, nobody understands. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, she's got it all in the book. It's a catalog of all of that stuff. You know what's also fascinating about her is that she grew up in a household uh, with human skeletons. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and uh, body parts in the freezer uh, because her father was a medical examiner and he actually did work from the home. So, you know, it was all around her as she was growing up. Kind of scary. Everyone's thinking. Everyone's thinking. What was her? When you said her father was a, a serial killer? No, <laughs> no, he was a coroner. <laughs> I want to know how they ended up with that skeleton. Yeah. Like, like, was that the one that didn't get away? <laughs> Can you imagine what Halloween must have been like at at Jennifer's house? Oh, it man. must have been. It must have been awesome. None of the kids. Nobody was probably even knocking the door. I ain't going there. They actually really do have you know bodies in there. <laughs> you can tweet us at Borges Film or email info at Borges.com. <laughs> if you have any uh if you have any filmmaking horror stories, we would love to hear from you. Oh yeah. Things that happened on a film set that you can't explain. That happened to me actually. I want to hear about it. On the set of Offing David, which is a story about a murder or an mm-hmm. attempted murder, on the last day of filming, uh there was something haunted going on in this house that we filmed at. The cameras wouldn't work. We had two cameras. Really? We had two cameras. These were digital cameras, uh, you know, with the uh, the tape. Back then they had tape, digital tape. Yeah, like tape, mini, 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 mini DV. DV. Right. Yep. And uh, both cameras were filming the house at around the same time. And uh, there was a moment on both cameras where everything went to static. Huh. Uh, time code was still laid down. But there was no picture on both cameras. How do you explain that? That's I don't know. Creepy. I mean, I'm always one that like I look for the scientific explanation, yeah. and then I go, "Oh no, it was a ghost." <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, I mean, usually if that happens to my camera, it's just because like I shock everything. Like, like I get out of a car and I get electrocuted. So if I touch the camera, it would do that. But two cameras, how far apart were they? Um, they like? Uh, 10 feet, you know. Oh, so it had to be something pretty good. Yeah. Hmm. Don't know. Can't explain oh. it. Oh. Scary music. This is where you edit in scary music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we want to hear your uh, film set horror stories. I'm sure there's plenty of them out there. Plenty yeah. of them out like, there. Does it got to be a scary story or just a horror story? Like, Anything. I worked with this guy and he was ho- a horror to work with. Even if you just send us a blank email, we'd appreciate it. <laughs> even at, you know, even if you even if you were on set and you had a piece of Halloween candy and uh, you know you yes. just ate it, we, we want to hear about it. We want to hear. We want to hear about your your candy experience. 
<laughs> okay, let's take a break, and we'll be right back with Forensic Speak and Jennifer Dornbush, How to Write a Realistic Crime Drama. That's one thing Alfred Hitchcock was really good at, creating suspense with a camera. For the last couple of years, I've been teaching Hitchcock suspense techniques at festivals like Buffalo, St. Louis, Palm Springs, Los Angeles. Filmmakers are learning easy tricks for building suspense that are so easy to implement. Now there's a way for you to get access in my new book, Suspense with a Camera. It's available in bookstores now. And don't miss our free docuseries on YouTube called Hitch 20. joined by Jennifer Dornbush. She's screenwriter, author, speaker, and forensic specialist. Also the author of Forensic Speak, How to Write a Realistic Crime Drama. Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. I'm just fascinated by the fact that you uh, grew up with skeletons and body parts in the freezer. (laughs) Talk a little bit about your childhood experiences and and how that may have influenced uh, this book that you wrote. Yeah. So um, I grew up in a very forensic home. I like to say I was born into it because I was. Um, And my father was a medical examiner for three counties in northern Michigan. And the office for the medical examiner was in our house. So it very much was a family business and the work very much came home. So I actually um, had this sort of front seat to forensic investigation from a very young age. I did my first case when I was eight years old. It was a twin engine plane fatality. And I helped my dad the next day go back to the scene and look for body pieces. Um, And yes, we did find a few. Uh, So yeah, that's how everything kind of came home. Um, My mom worked the office part of it. So she did like all the clerical administrative billing, ran the office um, side of it. And then I have two younger sisters and the three of us just kind of pitched in when and where it was needed. So so at any point, did it ever occur to you that this might be a little strange? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming back to school. What did you do on your summer vacation? Well, there was this twin engine fatality and all the other kids are like, ew. You know what's so funny? I, of course, when I was eight, I didn't think anything of it. I had no clue right. what this was. <laughs> but then, you know, as I got older, um, even into like middle grade school, yeah, I was very aware that like people, this was way before CSI made it really cool. So people had no idea what forensics was. They had no idea what medical examiners were or autopsies. This was just a world that was very unknown to, to most people. So yeah, I thought it was kind of, um, you know, most people's dads are like bankers or dentists and mm-hmm. kind of hard to explain sometimes what, what happened in my house. Yeah. You <laughs> so. know, human heart in a refrigerator. And not everybody has that. No, 
And like when my dad was trying to, you know, teach us girls not to smoke cigarettes, he would bring home a black lung from, you know, the most recent <laughs> autopsy. See, girls, this is what happens when you smoke. Bet you don't smoke. Uh, I do not smoke. <laughs> Never did. <laughs> Um, oh, so man. yeah, um, a lot of life lessons, a lot of scientific lessons. I kind of had to get, of course, at high school, I was like really embarrassed of what my dad did. But the funny thing was most of my friends thought it was cool. So it is cool. It is cool. When you were, when you were growing up, did, at what point did you say, um, that, that you really took an interest in it, as opposed to, eh, I'm just kind of hanging out with my dad. What point did you say, you know, this is something that's interesting to me. And, you know, not that you maybe thought you were going to write a book about it, but it must have become interesting at some point, like beyond just uh, hanging with your dad. Yeah, I, I, I'm, it came late. I do know that um, because I knew, I always knew I was going to be a writer since I was quite young, mm -hmm. but you know, it takes a while for you to kind of figure out what, what kind of writer am I? And I, I had other jobs before I became a screenwriter and an author. And so it, I spent most of my twenties doing these other jobs. And then by the time I got really serious about writing at like 29 or 30, you start, you know, bouncing ideas off people and you start really thinking about, well, who am I and what kind of writer am I and what do I like to write about? And I, it sort of hit me as I was kind of pitching ideas and, and looking at, you know, you look at this wealth of ideas that you're generating and you're like, huh, a lot of these are sort of crime and mystery related. I mm -hmm. wonder where that came from. <laughs> so it did, it did take me a while to really piece the two together. And then of course, you know, being in Los Angeles where it's super competitive to be a writer, you know, first of all, you can throw a stone and hit a writer. Mm -hmm. You're competing against the best of the best. So you have to do something to really make yourself stand out you know, AKA brand yourself. So then I had to start thinking about, well, what is it that I bring to the table that no one else brings? And then my eyes were sort of open to this whole background that I had that I just always took for granted and didn't think was that special or interesting to people. And we discovered that actually it was special and interesting and that I had a whole wealth. And not only that, but I actually had a wealth of knowledge about forensics that I could bring to the table. Um, so yeah, it took, it took a little bit to get there. And you were actually trained by the forensic science Academy. Was that after, after you decided you were going to get into the crime writing? Yeah, yeah. because, because I, I know a lot about death investigation, but the forensic field as a whole, I thought, you know, I, I'd like to, I started to really become, cause I love science anyway. Mm -hmm. And I, I started to really become interested in, well, how, what are the nuts and bolts of the rest of this pedagogy, you know, like what else, how, what, how do you investigate a crime scene and what is DNA? What, what is that? What is the science of DNA? How do you identify a fingerprint? So I went back because I wanted, again, I wanted to really specialize for my own knowledge, but also to, to create that brand. Um, and because I love to learn, I was just really excited to learn more. What advice would you give to, uh, um, somebody who's writing a script and wants to add some, you know, maybe they're writing some crime into it aside from purchasing your book, which they should do anyhow, but what, what's a good piece of advice you would give to a writer, um, to a fellow writer? Boy, so many, so many pieces of advice. Give I us think, a bunch, give I, us several. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, um, one thing I always try to remember is that it entertainment first, mm -hmm. that, 
we're here to entertain. So when I'm actually structuring a new project, I, I really do focus first on the story, the structure, the character development, all the kind of basic things of story that we all know and have learned as storytellers and filmmakers. And so I start there and then I, the second layer that I do is I develop the case. So I, I, I pretend like I am a detective or an investigator and I, I work the case as if I have a little file, a little manila file and I, all my casework is in that file. And so I really work through the case from the very, very beginning of the case to the very, very end, even though I may never put all of that stuff in there, Mm -hmm. I need to know all the nuts and bolts of that case, all the suspects, all the pieces of evidence, everything, um, so that I can inform that into my story. So it's for, for me, it's almost like a two-step process, like getting the story and the characters down and then overlaying it with the actual case, the actual mystery. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Do you watch these TV shows and kind of pick them apart now? When you see uh, other other shows, for instance, I know you you right. mentioned CSI, but like every you know, most shows have you know some kind of well, not most shows, but many shows have murders and crimes. Do you see them differently written as a movie? Do you kind of pick it apart a little bit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I see them differently. I honestly, when I watch them, I'm a lot of times watching them more for story structure rather than forensic structure because there's sort of these tropes that they use with forensic that they twist in order to make it entertaining. And so I'm kind of used to all that. In fact, I teach a class on, you know, everyone can spot a fake, kind of like the 10 top forensic tropes that writers or, you know, TV shows or film uses, but then they twist them because they kind of have to, in a sense. So I, yeah, fortunately I can get, I like watching them just for, for story, but there's definitely things um, that happen all the time on television that are not, of course, not true to what happens in real life investigations, but I'm trying not too hard on them because I understand the reasons why, mm-hmm. <laughs> why they're doing that. True. You're on, you're on both sides of this. So mm-hmm. uh, you see it. Um, Plus, I want to work in this town. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk a little bit about your book to Forensic Speak? You have two books. We'll talk about them both. But let's talk about the Forensic Speak and what what it's who's it aimed at, what it's about. Just give us a give the listeners a rundown on it. Sure. Okay. So Forensic Speak is what I call a forensic science academy in a book. I basically took all the knowledge that I got through the academy and put it into a book form because I it never was really meant to be a book. It was really just meant for me to have all this stuff in one place. And then my friends who are TV writers kept pushing me to publish it. They're like, no, this is really great stuff. Like you need this. And so when I published it or, you know, when I contacted Michael Weesey and they were like, yes, we love this. And we got it published. I really kind of meant it to be for film and TV writers. And it definitely is. Um, And what I've been surprised to discover in the journey of this book being out there that actually um, you'll find it in criminology departments at universities and you'll find it on the desks of CSIs and detectives. And that's been kind of fun 
to see the work kind of spread in that direction. So it's pretty comprehensive in terms of going through the major fields of forensics and explaining what all the terms are so that we can speak forensics in our writing, hence the title Forensic Speak. I wanted to, people to learn how to speak forensics so that they could make their fictional uh, mysteries and crime shows you know, authentic. Mm-hmm. And you cover uh, quite a bit of, uh, it's not just the crime scene. Uh, you, you know, go all the way to the end of the book. You got your court courtroom. I'm going to mispronounce the word confabulation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're talking about courtrooms there and um, maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, the chapters and what you're talking about in the book. Sure. Absolutely. So this is like soup to nuts. So from the moment that a crime occurs and is called in all the way through, um, you know, it gets, say it gets taken to court, taken to a jury. So the whole course of the crime. So you're getting, there's over 300 terms Mm -hmm. in the book and they're laid out in terms of like each one is, you know, you get the name of the term. What is it? Where do I see it? How can I use it? So that pattern over and over, Mm -hmm. what is it? Where do I see it? How can I use it? So we go through, let's see, different categories like uh, CSI, like actual crime scene investigation, Um, coroner chat. So we're going into the medical examiner coroner world, toxicology, fingerprints, DNA, um, blood spatter, guns, like uh, any sort of weapons, guns, Mm -hmm. and then, of course, courtroom proceedings as well. And those are kind of the, you know, ballistics along with the the weapons. Those are kind of the main, and within those are lots and lots of details about what, uh, you know, under each of those fields. Mm -hmm. And I like how you use My Cousin Vinny as as a movie that kind of covers the whole court process. That's one of my favorite movies. And Me too. I, yeah, yeah, mine, mine too. too. <laughs> <laughs> I must, uh, my wife and I, we've watched that movie probably 20 times and I still laugh like it's the first time. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know, I had never really thought about that is uh, truly a movie that covers from arrest to, you know, to the, to the end. Yeah. But, and people don't think of it as a, a mystery or a crime mm. film, but it's a, it's a comedic mystery is what it is. It's, yeah. It's a whodunit and how to, or, you know, well, how do we, first of all, they figure, have to figure out who done it and they have to unwind it too, mm-hmm. to, so, um, you know, help get the cousin off and his friend. Right. Right. And, Joe, <laughs> and who better to do that than Joe Pesci? No. <laughs> a natural choice. Yeah. 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 And, and Fred Gwynn is the, uh, as the judge Herman Munster. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now, your book, The Coroner, which is fiction, a work of fiction, as I read it and as I as we talk to you, I'm like, hmm, I wonder who this book's about. Let's say it's inspired by all of my experience, but it's definitely not me because Dr. Emily Hartford is way cooler than I am. Ah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so this was actually um, – and this kind of ties into film and television because uh, this was actually the first – feature script that I ever wrote was this book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's originally titled the coroner's daughter and I wrote it as a feature. Then I, then I started thinking about it and then wrote it as a TV, developed it into a TV series. And then over the years, so this is like my longest running project. And of course it's definitely sat in drawers here and there. And then over the years, I just kind of, it would get a lot of 
attention, but sort of no traction. And finally, I was just exhausted of the story. I put it aside and then I met my literary agent and I started looking at the landscape of film and television about five years ago. And it's like, you know what? IP. The, this is headed towards IP. Everything I would, it seems like 80 to 90% of what you see on television, streaming, cable, film is based on IP. And I thought, you know, I'm going to write this thing as a novel. I'm going to reverse engineer this prop, this project and mm-hmm. see if I can't, um, get some traction in that direction. So, um, so I did, I, I had a wonderful agent who I had never written any novel before and she believed in me and she's like, yeah, let's do it. So, um, I took basically it's a, it's a script that I novelized. Um, so that's, that's kind of the story behind that. And now we are shopping it around as a TV project and now we're getting traction. (laughs) And that's awesome. That is, uh, that's awesome. So, so I have one of the first copies here, the corner, hardcover, hardcover, yes. first edition. Um, now, as far as forensic speak goes, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping back here to forensic speak. It has a lot of information, but there's tons of information out there. Do you see a second edition of forensic speak? Maybe that expands into other directions. Oh, I know. There's so this field is so There's huge. So, it's so huge. So huge, and it's constantly changing. Yeah, and growing and expanding, and um, especially DNA. Because I just went to a really great seminar on DNA about a couple of weeks ago, and the new technology they're having to try to track DNA right on the field. Anyway, I. Yeah, I think it could, although I think it could, although the stuff, what I love about this book is that it is timeless because like this is kind of the primer. Mm-hmm. So the stuff that's in here is not going to change. It's just going to expand. Yes. So it's a great, you know, whether you got it today or 10 years from now, it's, it's, it's all, um, what's the word foundational. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would love to, you know, maybe in the future expand on it would be awesome. Um, because especially now too, there's like digital forensics, which I barely touched on in this book because it was so such a nascent field, um, eight years ago when I started writing this. Um, but now it's just exploding. So a lot of investigation happens, you know, electronically these days, mm-hmm. a lot of forensic investigation. So yeah, we could, we could add tons to this book. Yeah, and the D- the DNA they just caught the serial killer there from DNA from one of these genealogy sites, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I thought was so fascinating. I was like, yep. "Wow!" Like, uh, you know, it's scary that they're you know you never know what you're stepping into with things, but you know, here's a guy who thought he got away with it. No, um, but uh, no. but DNA is is amazing. What you know, they're using it for for crime for you know for helping people. Mm-hmm. Um, with cancers and everything, but, um, you know, yeah. I, I can, I can see this book expanding into even, you know, how to prep a body, you know, in your movie or whatever. I don't know, mm-hmm. you, you know, yeah. for you know, there's so much involved with it. So, yeah. you know, I'll keep my eyes peeled for forensic speak too. All right. I'll take all your ideas. I'll bring them. Where, where are you going it. with the coroner? Is that going to be a continuing series? Yeah, it is. I just delivered the second book to my publisher. It's a little darker than the first one. Uh Oh, all right. So, um, yeah. Yep. So that will be out next year. Jennifer, could you talk about, before we let you go, uh, just kind of 
promote where to get your books and talk about your classes a little bit too? Sure, absolutely. So yeah, books are easy to find. You can find links to all of them on my website, jenniferdornbush.com. You can find them on Amazon as well. And you can find the Forensic Speak at Michael Weesey. So mwp.com. Is it com? I think yep, it's dot com. It is mwp.com. But I have links to everything on my website if you want a one-stop shop, jenniferdornbush.com. Classes and seminars I, I usually do in conjunction with conferences. So um, at this point, I gosh, I don't have anything scheduled until next year. It's all on so, your website. Yeah. So, so that's where people can uh, follow uh, you anyhow. Yeah, there's lots of fun resources and things on my website. And one of these days, I'm probably going to have to like actually record some classes and get that going. So yeah, there you go. There's, it's, it's a big world when you're a, a creative genius. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jennifer, thank you so much for, for joining us on this episode. Yes. Thank you, Boris. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you so much. Thank you. you say it? Autobiography. Auto, autobiography. How do you say it with the ackle at the end? Autobiographical. Now you you have radio experience, right? You do audio do book production. And you know what? That's one of those words that I'd have to like look at and look it up and say that's pretty sad. Like brain cramp. I'm, I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna try to say it anymore. That's why I went, oh brain, it's about you. Brain cramp? I've never heard that before. Brain cramp. The Get Real Indie Filmcast is a production of Borges Networks, 2018.